Hey everybody, this is Thomas. Uh, so today, me and Deremy and our guest Aaron Carlson will be discussing our five essential rom-coms. So that means spoilers. So I forgot to mention when we were doing the show, but we are going to have a spoiler-laden conversation. So if you're not into spoilers, if you haven't seen rom-coms throughout the years, just a warning now, a little spoiler warning. So I wanted to do that up top. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Pop Culture 5. I'm Thomas Senna, and with me as always is the Tom Hanks to my Hugh Grant, <laughs> Jeremy Dove. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I'm pumped for this one. How are you? I'm good. It's Valentine's Day, so we're getting in the Valentine's spirit and the Valentine's mood. We're talking rom-coms today, so I'm super excited, Jeremy. Yeah, I'm usually not the romantic Valentine's Day is like whatever, but... This is what podcast does for me. It just brings that out in me, you know, just makes the, it's like, you know, I will touch into that spot, that side of myself and get down to the romantic Deremy, you know, introduce him to the world, you know? I think you've earned it. I think you've earned it. So, (laughs) Deremy, we have a guest for this episode and I'm so excited. Our Meg Ryan, our Nora Ephron. Yeah. (laughs) We welcome journalist and author Aaron Carlson. To Pop Culture 5, Erin, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for inviting me on, and I'm so flattered to be compared to Meg Ryan and Nora Ephron. I mean, I could never, I could never. Giants, giants. Well, I can never, like Hugh Grant and Tom Hanks. Yeah, I'm not a Tom Hanks. Yeah, we have big imaginations here on this show. (laughs) (laughs) But for you being our first guest, I think Nora Ephron and Meg Ryan, that's like, that comparison kind of fits like, you know, us, me being Tom Hanks. No, but you, Nora. Yes, we will go with that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So you, Aaron, you got our attention recently because you wrote a book about a movie that Jeremy and I both love a league of their own. So the book is called no crying in baseball, the inside story of a league of their own. Aaron, in this book, you tapped into something deep for me. So you helped explain why a league of their own has started to make me cry in recent years. Like I'm becoming a big softy and reading your book. I was like pointing at it. I was like, that's the reason why the last time I watched league of their own, I was like bawling at the end. You're like you did such a wonderful job on, the, on that book, Aaron, you put everything so well. Oh, thank you so much. And like, yeah, that movie makes me cry so hard, you know? And I wanted to write a book that, you know, makes people feel emotional, but like, in a good way, mm-hmm. like happy tears, you know, even when mm-hmm. Kit wins in the end over Dottie, like, which I've come to accept, I'm really happy for Kit. Yeah, <laughs> and I too. want her to stay in the league, you know, I know they don't, but I'm pretending I, they stay in the league for like 50 years. I know, I, I'm totally with you on that. And I, I just, uh, yeah, you put in such great words about how like the camaraderie too of of the women when they showed the the, the women at the end, like playing at the reunion, playing baseball. That's what gets me is when a scene, seeing them in the future playing and I'm just sitting there like a, a ball of tears. Jeremy, 
Do you cry at the leave of their own? You, you're a crier like me. We've talked about this. Yeah, as, as like you said, as I get older, it's it, it happens more, and I'm just like you know, people are like, "What's going on?" I go, "It must be the allergies." Like I don't know, like I don't know what's happening, but no, I'm starting to get yeah, definitely a little more emotional, and that movie definitely uh, pulls at the heartstrings for me as well. So you are what I would call an expert on r- romantic comedies, Aaron. And that's our topic for today. So I'm curious, <laughs> how did your love of romantic comedies begin and start to blossom? Oh, I'm a typical like um, 80s kid. You know, I was born in 81. So I very much grew up with Tom Hanks <laughs> and Meg Ryan. And then when Harry Met Sally came out in 1989, and I was like eight, and my parents were really cool and they let me watch... <laughs> Like adult films. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I just grew up with these films. They were so comforting to me and so funny and so light. And But they were also extremely moving. Like you talked about crying. Like these movies were kind of sad. Um, you know, Sally Albright, like, you know, she's very upset because she gets dumped by her long-term boyfriend. And she goes, I'm going to be 40. And she was afraid of aging and, like, being alone and unmarried and all these things that women, sadly, you know, um, get consumed with, you know, in their 30s. So I just, like, I just grew up with them. And it's so funny because my mother has really, like, highbrow taste in films. Like, she would take me to see Memento and Amelie and all these art films. Yet every weekend I would just wear out. (laughs) my VHS copies of Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail. And she'd be like, why are you sitting here every weekend? But I just wanted to get to that, you know, ending. I wanted to get to that happy ending on the Empire State Building, you Mm -hmm. know, um, or in Riverside Park and You've Got Mail. And I just loved Tom Hanks. Um, And I just loved how he was able to just play somebody who was like, um, how do I say this? I don't want to offend a lot of people, but he was a man. Like, mm-hmm. he was like yeah. a man that you, he was like um, the dad next door, mm-hmm. but yet he was very sensitive. And um, the total I package. Think, right, the total package. <laughs> and I think a lot of men love romantic comedies because he is their way in. So... Yeah. I was like, you know, I I can't say enough. I know you're members of the Tom Hanks fan club. Um, we are. But wow. I'm, he has me for life. Yeah, know? he has the type of movies that <laughs> with for men in rom-coms, we need, I think initially we need to be introduced to rom-coms basically with like a spoonful of sugar with the medicine in a way, yes. you know. So so we need to we need to have like a good movie, like an action or a male-oriented movie. That's it's like a rom com, but it's disguised as something that we won't initially be embarrassed about watching. So I know I have some of those. Uh, Jeremy might too, but that's sort of how we get. Uh, unfortunately, especially if you grew up in the '90s, you had to be introduced to rom coms that way from a male perspective. And Tom Hanks was like the perfect. He straddled that line. He appealed to men and women. He was perfect <clears throat> in that regard. Yeah, and it's so funny because um, when Nora Ephron was casting Sleepless in Seattle. She wanted to find somebody who had that Cary Grant quality, somebody like George Clooney, who 
is just deadly handsome, you know. <laughs> like people like George Clooney are so handsome they need to go to Lake Como and just be handsome and like but so she wasn't sold on Hanks initially cuz she didn't think he was hot enough for the role. But they met at the Beverly Hills Hotel and he just put on the charm. Mm-hmm. He just he's on all the time. Like he really is that charming. It's- and she's yeah. like, yeah, I think women want to sleep. After that meeting, she's like, I think women want to sleep with Tom Hanks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, he's he is the whole package. So it's funny because in recent years, like I'm still trying to find that guy who can fill like the Tom Hanks yeah. shoes. That's um, pretty big shoes to fill. Right, and uh, rom-com, a new rom-com guy I'm really excited about is Glenn Powell in Anyone But You. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, With uh, Sidney Sweeney? Yeah. The one I haven't seen it yet. It's on the list. Yeah, same Yeah. Way. Well, you know, it came out just before Christmas because, you know, who's going to go see a movie that comes out December 22nd when they have holiday chaos? You know, their mother-in-law's in town, whatnot. <laughs> so I finally saw Anyone But You last week. It is so funny. He's got like a Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire quality. And I hope he sticks uh, with doing rom-coms. I know he's going to do like um, a, the remake of Twister, which is cool. Computer-generated tornadoes are cool and all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think like if you have that uh, rom- rom-com quality um, where men like you, women like you, you're the whole package, I think you should not avoid the genre altogether. Hint, hint. Glenn Powell. But yes, I endorse him. Okay. Well, something that that you guys kind of, you know, Thomas, you brought up and I really wanted to ask you, Aaron, is when doing kind of like research for this episode, getting ready, I saw some debates online about what qualifies a rom-com and what doesn't. And there's some movies that I'm like, ooh, I thought this as a rom-com and there's like a debate like this isn't that. So for you, what... What is needed for it to be a romantic comedy? Yeah, well, um, the love story has to be central, uh, number one. Um, Number two, it needs a happy ending. Uh, Although one of my picks today doesn't quite fit that uh, Mm. trope. Um, But it should have a happy ending. And number three, it should be funny. There are so many romantic comedies I put in air quotes Especially they're, they're like streamed on Netflix mm-hmm. um, and they're targeted right toward me, you know, or the Hallmark audience. But they're not funny. The right. actors aren't funny and the script sucks. So, like, if it's not funny to me, if I only laugh once, it doesn't qualify as a romantic comedy. They should be funnier. There was a terrible romantic comedy in air quotes starring Harry Connick Jr. and Hilary Swank. That came out like 15 years ago, and I can't remember the name. It was so bad, but it was also great <laughs> because it was terrible. And Harry Connick Jr. should just do music, you know, he should not try to tell jokes. But I, yeah, I love that there's definitely a can't be so bad as good quality. So we're it. not, we're not counting necessarily like too many Hallmark. Kind of movies that's that like the Hallmark movies and stuff is that in a different class than maybe what more toward maybe sort of like what we'd be looking yeah, at? Yeah, we would be yeah. talking about like 
feature films. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and Hallmark is its own, like, food group. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. agree with that. There was a, you know, Hallmarky, Netflixy kind of uh, cheaply made rom-com starring C-listers. If somebody like Lindsay Lohan um, is in it or, you know, once in a while. But, but yeah, those, those are their own thing. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I, I was shocked to find out that Lacey Chabert is like the queen of those Hallmark movies now. Like my my wife and I, that's almost like comfort food because you know it's gonna have a happy ending. You know, like the beats. So I ask her sometimes. I'm like, which one are you are you watching? One does she, does she is she a magazine writer from New York or is she a lawyer from New York going to a small town? Is there a Christmas tree farm involved? So sometimes it's like almost. <laughs> comforting in a way some of those movies oh yeah um like the christmas there's always a christmas tree farm (laughs) there's always just like this small town guy standing there in front of the christmas tree with wearing flannel you know um Mm -hmm. saying nothing really and not Mm -hmm. really being funny but just kind of standing there represented representing like the life she could have outside of this terrible big city Mm-hmm. But yes, that that is a trope, and I'm very happy for Lacey Chabert uh, that she has the second act because I think it could be extremely lucrative for her. And if she just focuses on that, on being the queen of Hallmark, I think she could have a oh. very nice house somewhere <laughs> in Calabasas. Okay. All right, Aaron. Uh, where can listeners? We do plugs at the top and the bottom. Of the show, so we give a couple of opportunities. But uh, where can listeners find your work? Oh, um, they can find my work on. Well, I have a website, which sounds so quaint for some reason. Erinlcarlson um, <laughs> You can find more information about my books there, and then I have a newsletter on Substack called "You've Got Mail," where I talk about rom coms quite a bit. Yes. I think you recently wrote something about Glenn Powell. I did. Right? Yeah. And I was really embarrassed to press publish on that. But it has been one of my most popular uh. <laughs> newsletters. Okay. But I make my husband um, read them before I send them out. I'm like, is this too embarrassing? And he's like, no, it's great. And I think he's barely reading it. Yeah. While like watching something else in the background, so why why, uh, why were you embarrassed? <laughs> what what made you nervous about it? I don't. I think I would. It's so funny because like I'm a rom com expert, right? Mm-hmm. But yet some parts of me are slightly embarrassed to be so vulnerable about that. Like, I think Glenn Powell's amazing. No one else is talking about that. No one else is going to agree with me on this. Like, it's like publishing your diary. And then a lot (laughs) of people agree. A lot. And I got all these likes. This never happens, but the minute I published it, I got all these likes. So it must be reaching someone. So that told me I need to be a little more embarrassed when I post (laughs) Well, Something. that's that's what happens with good writing is you might like people will find themselves they'll read something and say, "Oh yeah, I actually think that 
this person put into words what I'm actually thinking. So I think you tapped into something right with well, that. Well, thank you very much, because every time I post <laughs> anything, I, I put my turtleneck up over my face, and I want to hide. <laughs> No, we think you do a great job. So Absolutely. in addition to in addition to No Crying in Baseball, you also wrote All Have What She's Having, how Nora Ephron's three iconic films saved the romantic comedy and the Meryl Streep biography, Queen Meryl. Anybody who even has a passing interest in romantic comedies or movies will especially love that Nora Ephron book. Aaron, I finished it in three days. I was just sitting there just kind of like glued. It was a good companion to... Uh, to the movies I was watching, but it, but it was like a really fun, breezy read. Like I, I kudos to you for making me like glued to the to the to the pages. Thank you so much. Um, that's great to hear. I'm always like, well, when someone tells me they read my work, I was like, really? But I, I'm like Frank Navasky in You've Got Mail. The great <laughs> you just made me care. think of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people compare me to him. Oh, that's hilarious. yeah. Which I'm. I'm extremely flattered because he is the greatest living expert on Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. So, so they say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Uh, so are you guys ready to, to pick some essential rom-coms here? Absolutely. All right. Yes. So the rules of the show here, uh, the Nora Ephron book might actually be a great companion to this week's episode of Pop Culture 5 because we are discussing five essential rom-coms. So the rules are a little different this week. Erin is our guest, so she gets two choices, including the first pick. I'll have two choices, and Deremy will have one choice. Deremy, however, is armed with a veto <laughs> if he so chooses to use it. And since Erin's our rom-com expert here on the show, she will have final approval over Deremy's veto. So Deremy's going to have to jump through a hoop to get that veto through if he wants to use one this week. Mm-hmm. I'm ready if it's if it's needed now. I I mean I'm I'm fair, but I'm tough. So <laughs> we'll see. I'm I'm interested. I'm interested, especially you, Thomas. I'm interested in where, where you're going to go here. I always, yeah, you know. Yeah, I'm always controversial. Jeremy's always like thinking my picks are controversial, and he'll like kind of pick at it and be like, "Are you sure? Why? Why would you choose that?" And so so yeah. Jeremy's mm-hmm. a tough crowd, but I make we'll him see. I make him earn it. Make him earn that vote. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So, Aaron, we're going to go to you with your choice, our first choice for essential rom-com. I think it's not my favorite Nora Ephron movie. My favorite is You've Got Mail. But When Harry Met Sally is, to me, the essential romantic comedy of her trilogy. You realize, of course, that we can never be friends. Why not? What I'm saying is... And this is not a come on in any way, shape, or form. Is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. That's not true. I have a number of men friends and there is no sex involved. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. You only think you do. You're saying I'm having sex with these men without my knowledge? No, what I'm saying is they all want to have sex with you. They do not. Do too. They do not. Do too. How do you know? Because no man can be friends with a woman that he finds attractive. He always wants to have sex with her. So you're saying that a man can be friends with a woman he finds unattractive? No, you pretty much want to nail him, too. You know, it's the rom-com that launched a new golden age of rom-coms after a fallow period. You know, it put the leading man and lady on equal footing and married light comedy and familiar tropes 
like the happy ending with contemporary situations and settings. You know, it had a very compelling question. You know, can a man and woman become good friends without sex getting in the way and ruining the friendship? The director, Rob Reiner, thought, no, men and women can't be good friends. You know, it's not possible. Sex always gets in the way. Nora Ephron, who wrote the movie, who very much wrote the character of Sally Albright to Rob Reiner's Harry Burns, thought, yes, men and women can be friends. So this movie was like a debate that they had together. And this debate just activated so much conversation after the movie came out, where people were coming up to Nora and going like, can men and women be friends? I'm in love with my best friend. (laughs) And Nora was like, oh my God, I'm their therapist. And they think I have the answers to the universe. Um, (laughs) But I think that touched on like a very contemporary issue. Um, You know, it's had amazing performances from Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan, who was 26 and Billy was 41. And despite that age gap, she was 26. Was it the hair that made her look older? Yes. And in the 80s, um, if your listeners don't remember the 80s, (laughs) that's a good thing. But heavy makeup, lots of hair, lots of hairspray, and made everyone look like they were 45. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, Billy was not the first choice for this role. Rob Reiner was looking at Tom Hanks for the role of Harry Burns. But Tom Hanks, you know, had just gone through a divorce uh, from his first wife, and he was very happily married to his second wife, Rita Wilson, and he was like, I don't want to go through that, because the whole movie, Harry's, like, uh, reeling from his divorce from Helen, who he runs into at the Sharper Mm -hmm. Image while he's doing karaoke with Sally. He's in um, Oklahoma, yeah. Right. I mean, one of the best <laughs> scenes. The wheels are yellow, the upholstery brown, the dashboard genuine leather, with eyes and glass curtains that will roll. What? It's my voice, isn't it? I hate my voice. I know, it's terrible. Joe hated my it's voice. It's Helen. Helen? She's coming right towards me. How are you, Harry? Fine, I'm fine. This is Iris Stone, Harry Burns. Harry. Also, this movie had just a lot of great improvisation. Like, we talk about Nora's script, right? But Billy introduced, who was a comedian and still is, you know, Billy introduced a lot of great improvisational comedy, including at the Temple of Dender scene at the Met where he and Sally um, are on a pseudo date. You know, they're getting to know each other. They don't hate each other like they did at the beginning. (laughs) And they're just helping each other get through these breakups in their lives. But they have this spark. And he starts talking to her in a funny voice. And he starts saying, you know, waiter, there is too much pepper on my paprikash. And asking her to repeat that. And that's just a great moment um, that speaks to all those moments when um, we decide that we're more comfortable with somebody, you know, whether that's a friend or, um, you know, a significant other. We're more comfortable with someone when we start doing funny voices. 
So I think that very specific moment is, has this universal appeal because we all do our funny freaking voices, you know, when we <laughs> sometimes start much to, get to close our spouses' to chagrin. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stop doing that voice. <laughs> um, um, it's just, d- and, and of course, there was the Katz's Deli scene, classic, which, which was a set piece, which means it's a scene that. You know, it could be removed from the movie and the movie would still keep humming along. Um, Some people might think of that scene as a huge distraction or maybe out of character for somebody as tightly wound as Sally Albright. But that's why it's so funny, because she was so type A Mm -hmm. when she starts faking an orgasm in the middle of a public diner. That's surprising and that's funny and Meg Ryan was terrified of doing this in front of all these extras. So Rob Reiner, (laughs) you know, who started out um, in sitcoms and he started out as an actor before he was a director. He told Billy to like step aside and he sat across from Meg and he started faking the orgasm and like pounding the (laughs) table and meanwhile, his mother, who delivers that iconic line, I'll have what she's having, was watching him do this. And he was absolutely sweating and mortified. Is there but video once- or audio of this? Oh, or did I Reiner wish. have it just completely destroyed? You know, I know he's got it. I know he's got it somewhere. But so Meg, okay, she's like, okay, I get it. And then she did it, and she did it <laughs> perfectly for like 40 takes. Mm-hmm. And then she left, and then history was made. And now when you go to Katz's Deli, they have um, the table where she, you know, did the orgasms. (laughs) 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 And you can sit there, and people actually do it. So this movie is just, it continues to resonate because, like, it's funny, it's sad, people relate to these characters. Um, And as Billy said recently... Uh, they never age. They're always, they're immortal. He yeah. and Meg are immortal. Yeah. Forever on screen as, you know, Harry and Sally. And that's an incredible legacy to have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Jeremy, when we did our Spike Lee episode, we looked at Do the Right Thing as like the clear number one, like kind of yeah. the obvious, like, okay, so it's Do the Right Thing, and then where do we go from there? That's how I feel about When Harry Met Sally. Same. As far as rom coms go, like, well, what do you do? You agree with that, Jeremy? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I I think you said it right. It's it's the clear number one, and I think I totally agree with Aaron because it's a conversation. I'll be honest. I still have I have a lot of female friends, and it's that conversation that we have today that I've dealt with personally, where people. You know, my female friends, like, we're good now, but their husbands were like, you guys can't possibly be friends. Like, a woman and a man can't. And I'm like, yeah, you can. And I'm like, it's fine. It's it's so we can be platonic friends. So it's a conversation that's still going on and still, like, goes back and forth. And I think this movie did a great job of, like, just bringing up that question and just putting it out there in the open. Like, can a man and a woman just be friends? Yeah. Totally. The eternal debate. Yes, mm-hmm. they can. <laughs> yes. They can absolutely. We're three for three in saying, yes, they absolutely can. Mm-hmm. Aaron, you had talked about all those iconic scenes, especially the Katz's Deli scene. The New Year's Eve speech at the end is super iconic. There's one moment, though, <laughs> to me that encapsulates the relationship between Harry and Sally. I wanted to pick your brain about this. So when they're on the double date, right, 
and Harry speaks about Sally's ordering habits. So what are we going to order? Well, I'm going to start with the grilled radicchio. Jazz, Sally is a great order. Not only does she always pick the best thing on the menu, but she orders it in a way that even the, the chef didn't know how good it could be. To me, that was like the seed for the speech at the end. And that's when you started noticing Harry, like, look at Sally and like the things that used to annoy him or annoy him about her. He's starting to really appreciate and love. And that's something that that it took me a few watches to pick up on just like the importance of that moment. But is that something that am I am I reading into that scene correctly? I just got chills when you talked about that. (laughs) (laughs) At the scene in Cafe Luxembourg with Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, like he's starting to really love her quirks, which are so much part of a part of her. You know, and Nora Ephron was also a very specific orderer. Like she would go to restaurants and order for everyone, which would get on my nerves because I want what I want. But Mm -hmm. she thought that she knew better than everyone else. But then (laughs) Rob Reiner, you know, in their early meetings, you know, um, about when Harry met Sally, he really grew to appreciate that because she had really good taste. And when she ordered, he really enjoyed the food. So I want to think like behind the scenes, Rob, that could reflect Rob's growing appreciation for Nora. He made her a collaborator. She was on set all the time. And at the end of the movie, he made her an associate producer. He valued her so much. So I part of me, just because I know too much about the behind the scenes making of this movie, (laughs) this one specific (laughs) movie. I'm like, oh, this is, this is a man appreciating a woman for her, her opinions, her very strong opinions. Yeah. Um, yeah. And her, her taste. And uh, you go into, into some wonderful detail about when Harry met Sally in the Nora Ephron book. That's just, just just really, really great insight. Uh, Deremy, is there anything else that you want to say about when Harry met Sally before we get on? No, I think it's, it was, Aaron put it perfectly. And this is the, like for essential rom-coms, if you have to give it to a, I know we don't rank here, but a top spot, I think number one has to be when Harry met Sally. Yeah, I think uh, I was excited to talk about that. I knew even when, when Deremy and I had this idea, I knew when Harry met Sally, we would, we would talk about it for sure. It's always been a favorite of mine. So great choice. Number one, when Harry met Sally, Aaron. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm glad you like my choice. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so it's now we're on to me. So uh, I'm, I have the number two pick. So I'm going to go with something a little more recent. It's like, to me, it's a modern day rom-com classic. So this movie came out in 2017, and it was written by Kumail Nanjiani and Emily V. Gordon. I'm talking about... The Big Sick. We haven't hung out for two days. We've hung out for about five hours. Yeah, just to like be totally clear. Yesterday and today, because it's after midnight. So today is actually tomorrow. Earlier tonight was yesterday, so two days. You see, I don't date time nerds, so that really takes you off <laughs> the table. That works out, because I, I am a hardcore time nerd. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. I'm like very strict about AM, PM <laughs> stuff. And so wait, so just to establish, what did we decide? We decided we aren't ever going to see each other again. Great. I'm glad we're on the same page. You were talking, Aaron, about rom-coms should be funny. The comedy should should be there. This is one of the funniest rom-coms I've ever seen. Like, 
to me, this is the, the humor's there, especially with some of Kumail's friends, like A.D. Bryant, Bo Burnham, Kurt <laughs> Brownoller. Like, they're all so hilarious. The whole movie is just so funny. To me, this is the big six, like, the big six is like the modern day rom com classic for me. And it touches into like a lot of cultural tension. Uh, I think the meat cue is, is a little bit different in that it, it happens with her, but also more, even in more ways with her parents and Kumail. So I think there's a nice twist on like, he's having a meet cute with the parents as well as with Emily. So there's just so much here. So the big sick. So dare me, am I getting vetoed? No, big sick? no, not at all. Okay. Not at all. You don't get vetoed at all from me. I, I wasn't sure where you were going. This is one I honestly feel like doesn't get talked about enough of how just yeah. like gutsy of a movie this was and how well done it was and it's an excellent choice, man. I'm surprised. I didn't I didn't know if you were going there, but I I do think it's an instant classic when it comes to rom coms. Yeah, and it's like I love it because it's set in Chicago where I grew up and it gets the city right. Because I feel like Kumal and then Emily Gordon, his wife, who co-wrote the movie, um, I feel like they met there or something. Or he was a comedian or mm-hmm. something. And they lived there for a time. But it gets Chicago right. Even the driving scenes like are geographically accurate <laughs> with the story. <laughs> As somebody from Chicago, you're kind of a yeah. stickler about that in some yes. ways. Yes. And yeah. even the lighting is right. Um, like Chicago has these kind of iconic orange street lights and they have that they're not leds anyway so i appreciated a good chicago rom-com like like you have high fidelity mm-hmm. then my best friend's wedding but this was a really good recent one and i loved that i love kumal because i had seen him in um silicon valley mm-hmm. and he was so funny but they didn't use him enough so i feel like i really got to know him i got to know his humor um and this was such a great collaboration with his wife too so i'd like to see them do another rom-com although this was so good i don't know how they would follow up (laughs) yeah yeah it's uh holly hunter too holly hunter and ray romano on a a rewatch they really popped like it surprised me i had almost forgotten how funny both of them were, especially Holly Hunter in the comedy club. What, what did you just say? You put bread and you make it. Come on. Uh, I said he should go back to ISIS. Toast is the only well, food. That, that is a Wait, really confusing position. I mean, do you want ISIS to have more people? No, I was saying Guess that. Guess what, everybody? We got ISIS recruiter here. <laughs> All right, glad we got to the bottom of that. Toast is like a What is it about him that made you say that? I think we know what the answer is. I don't Lady, I, don't, I wasn't talking to you. What, what we don't have to go him? down this path. No, we know what's at the end of it and it's Because of how he looks. There it is. That is like saying that all frat boys wearing country club hats and Hawaiian shirts have shrivel up tiny little dicks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, actually actually the That was like A plus right there with the uh, Holly Hunter in in the comedy club. This movie's just so witty. The dialogue so conversational. Uh, just watching it again because because I had watched it with my wife when when it came out. I revisited it maybe a couple years later. So this came out in 2017. I watched it like four five years ago again. So on my third watch, I'm like, okay, I'm super confident. This is one of my choices. Uh, I, I just 
think about this movie in such glowing ways. Like, Jeremy, like what stood out to you in The Big Sick? Well, I think what sticks out for me is the fact that I, in a weird way, know a lot of couples who, when one of them has gotten sick, that's kind of like, oh, like it kind of sparks like, oh, it took it from like we're casually or we're at this spot and they go to that next spot. And it kind of over those years, it was like funny when this came out, I I had just been hearing stories about like when so-and-so was sick and they took care of me or when someone or sadly when I got sick and they didn't show up for me in that way. And it was kind of like, so I think it kind of was like, yeah, it's something that I'm like, I got to look out for in a way of like, when you get sick, those are those kind of moments that like how that person, you know, really stands out for you. And also for me, since we're on a podcast, like I don't listen to it as much, but you made it weird with Pete Holmes, you know, that kind of behind the scenes was a big kind of like impetus, like Judd Apatow hearing, Kumail and Emily talk about their story and they kind of connect it. And he's like, you guys should make a movie about this. So those are the kind of the things that, and so when this movie was coming out and hearing them talk about it and being like, this podcast is kind of where it kind of spawned from. I'm like, Oh, that's pretty cool. So this just those little tidbits that kind of always have me with this film. Yeah. The fact that it's based on a true story is like extra points for me. Yeah. And like, um, no one, I feel like this was the first rom-com to deal with chronic illness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that kind of storyline. Mm-hmm. So it was really, really heavy. Again, it was about something um, like sad, but it was very, very, very funny about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they did a really great job kind of navigating that line. I don't know. It's, it's kind of it. I don't know. Rom-coms are a lot of them now rom-dramedies. In like, a lot of ways. Right? And yeah. is that ja- that's so Judd Apatow to me. Um, mm-hmm. Like, because a lot of his, his uh, rom-coms, dramas too. Well, anyway. that's why I, I wonder is that, that's why I kind of asked you before, like, do those count? Are they, like, in a, are they in their own separate category for you? They count if they're really, really, really funny. Okay. <laughs> and this one, this one qualifies. So you got to pull really? it off. Yes. You got to be able to pull it off. You have to pull it off, and yes. most people can't. That's, that's why you need. Com- that's why you need comedians to do them. And Judd Apatow knows what he's doing, and yeah. so does Kamal. But you yeah. need funny people to make them. Yes, exactly. Um, well fun- said. Nora Ephron used to call not funny people NF. Like that person's an NF. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna start using that, even if it's just my own brain. Right. I'm gonna start cataloging people who I meet. Right. Oh, Chris Pine, NF. Like, oh. <laughs> like there are some people that can't be rom-com stars. They yeah. just can't. Yeah. So Kumel anyway. can. He can be. Yes. He can be an action hero. He's a really big buff guy now. Yes, he can. <laughs> yeah, he can. He can do it. Yes. But he's I was great like, in a rom-com. <laughs> he got jacked like uh, Jeremy Allen White. In that Calvin Klein ad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was like, how much are they paying? <laughs> Some guys are just paid to go to the gym. That's why Jeremy <laughs> Allen White was at, like, shirtless at the writer's strike. Like, I would be, too. I would be like, yeah. Oh, because Calvin Klein was paying him. Who knows how much <laughs> money to go to the gym in between protesting. We love you, Camille. I'm glad you got we, jacked. We <laughs> love you, Come on, Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have When Harry <laughs> Met Sally and The Big Sick. Deremy, this is your choice. This is your only choice on this episode. You got to make this one count, my man. 
Well, I'm going to be a little controversial then, and oh boy. I- I'll say it. If you guys disagree, you can veto, and then I'll pick another one. But this is the one that always jumps out to me. But I saw people saying, I don't know if this is a romantic comedy. And so I was like, I don't know. But I'm going to go with my heart. I'm going to go with something. It's. I'll be honest. It's the first one that I go to that's just so iconic. I'm taking you back to 1987. And I'm going with The Princess Bride. Wesley had no money for marriage. So he packed his few belongings and left the farm to seek his fortune across the sea. It was a very emotional time for Buttercup. I don't believe this. I fear I'll never see you again. Of course you will. But what if something happens to you? Hear this now. I will always come for you. But how can you be sure? This is true love. Talk about a movie that has lasted like just the test of time and so many generations is something that I watched with my parents. I can't wait to show like my nieces like this movie. I just feel like what Robin Wright and so many people in this Carrie is even like Andre the Giant, how beloved he was for this movie. So many just iconic lines and, you know. I, I just think this film is just quintessential. I thought you were going to do an Andre the Giant impression, Jeremy. I thought you were setting <laughs> us up for one, and then you I, just moved on. Uh, I thought about it, and then I'm like, I got a little bit of a stuffy, so I was like, I don't think I can pull it off today. Mine sounds like Schwarzenegger for some reason. <laughs> I might be able to. Maybe I can do it this week when I get a little bit better, and then Thomas think, can like throw it in there. Well, I think being congested should help an Andre the Giant impression. <laughs> <laughs> It anyway. should. It should. <laughs> Sorry, but no, 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 it's all good. It's, it's just. I think some people kind of felt like I've been reading because with Wesley and Buttercup, their romance was always strong. So they were like, there isn't like a conflict in their opinion. Like they always had that love for it. But I feel like a lot of this movie, there is like the con- of them trying to get together and trying. So that is the conflict for their romance. Like their love is strong, but. There's a lot of things getting in the way of that. Uh, Wallace Shawn, to me, was also just amazing in this movie, too. And I, I love him. One of my f- favorite like comedic actors. And I just think this movie is just so iconic. And for me, it's my f- favorite. And I think it's just the one that everyone just kind of goes to. So I, I'm going to put up The Princess Bride. I'm so glad that you chose this. I never think about this movie Really? It's a romantic comedy, but but it is. And there's a new um, like popular genre in romance novels right now called romanticy. So oh, okay. it's like romantic fantasy. Yeah. And this could qualify as that. And right. this was a movie. So my parents divorced when I was very young. It it's all it's okay. We're good. <laughs> but I would go to my dad's house on the weekends and we would always watch the Princess Bride, because that's his favorite movie. And he's very, like, I would call my dad kind of, um, he has a personality, but also not, he. <laughs> <laughs> we used to call that a, stoic back in, yeah. back in the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a, a good way, Thomas. Yeah, stoic. Thank you. Thank you. He's a strong, silent type. Sure. Okay. But yeah. he loved Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> 
but also The Princess Bride. So we would watch it every weekend. And I mean, is any movie just, I mean, it's just, it's just perfect. Uh, Rob Reiner directed it Mm -hmm. and he really like searched far and wide for the Robin Wright role. He had auditioned Meg Ryan, actually, and he thought she was adorable, but she didn't have that kind of ethereal beauty he was searching for. And then he auditioned Robin Wright, and he was like, that's her. And she's Princess Buttercup. She really is. You know, she's somebody that um, Carrie always, you know, would come back and, like, try to rescue from that crazy king. And the lines, as you wish, Mm -hmm. as they're, like, rolling down the hill. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, oh, my God. You're the, what is it, the farm boy? <laughs> mm-hmm. You're the farm boy. Yeah. Um, of course, he comes back as like that dashing pirate. Um, and, oh, and Mandy Patinkin. Oh, my yeah, God. Mandy's yeah, Mandy's just legendary. Oh, my God. Wait, that was my favorite. Inigo Montoya, you killed my father. Prepare to die. Prepare to die. That well, is that's, Mandy that's Patinkin like... firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. This is his best role. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. I wish they had a spinoff with just his character. Like, the best. The best. Well, we even the the dynamic between Manny Patinkin and Andre the Giant, that's a lot of like the comedy in the movie. So, Jeremy, I think you were too nervous in bringing the Princess Bride up because I agree with you. Like, it's not one of the first go tos for people with romantic comedies, but I think it is because there is comedy in this. You have some funny stuff, but even with Carrie Elways and, and Wallace Shawn's character when they're doing the poison bit, that's, yeah. that's really funny. That's a comedic bit. That's well, like an old vaudeville bit. You guessed wrong. You only think I guessed wrong. That's what's so funny. I switched glasses when your back was turned. Ha <laughs> ha, you fool. You fell victim to one of the classic blunders. The most famous is never get involved in a land war in Asia. But only slightly less well known is this. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. So the comedy, I felt it was it was there. I mm-hmm. some people call this fantasy and different things. Mm-hmm. So I know movies can have more than one genre, but I was surprised when doing research for this episode that it was like a decent sized debate of is this a rom com or not. And then mm-hmm. I was just like, I don't. Maybe I I always thought it was, and then I'm like, maybe my my radar's off on this one. It's not, but. I, I just think, kind of like what you guys, with the Thomas, what you said earlier, that fantasy part is what brings, and obviously Andre the Giant being a wrestler, kind of yeah. brings the guys in. Because I don't think of a rom-com that men and women both love more than this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody yeah. loves this movie. Yeah. It's really funny. The love story is central. And um, there's a happy ending. Like, yes. this is a romantic comedy. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great pick, Jeremy. So yeah. you, you shouldn't have been too nervous coming in. And Aaron, 
<laughs> seal of approval from Aaron. He's so. like me publishing a newsletter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was. I was I'm like. Nervous. I was a little bit. I was like, uh oh, but I was ready. I was ready for my my backups. If people were like, no, no, but Darren I'm glad because this is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! So good pick, Jeremy. So All we right. have when Harry met Sally, the big sick, and the Princess Bride. A really neat so far. I think it's the list is looking to be very well rounded. We're back to Aaron. This is your second choice, number four overall. What do you got for us, Aaron? Well, I didn't want to like suggest like too many Nora Ephron movies because you've got Mamma Beach just so obvious. Um, so I'm going to go with my best friend's wedding. What I mean when I say she's annoyingly perfect is that there's nothing annoying about her perfection. It is, it is vulnerable and endearing. And that is annoying as shit. Oh, I like it. I didn't have to hate her. I'd adore her. This is my whole life's happiness. I have to be ruthless. He was in love with me every day for nine years. I can make him happier than she can. Yes, I am breaking her heart in the short run, but really, really doing her a gigantic favor. Sorry. The great Julia Roberts, who was the queen of the rom-com in the 90s, along with Meg Ryan. But unlike Meg Ryan, this is Julia playing an anti-hero. So she can play the villain that you still root for. So very few people can pull that off. Tom Hanks pulls that off as Joe Fox in You've Got Mail. And Julia Roberts pulls off that tricky dance as food critic Jules Potter, who, you know, she's this jaded New Yorker. She went to college with Dermot Mulroney's character, Michael, who's a humble sports writer you know, one of those guys who just follows teams around and like lives, you know, out of his suitcase. And she gets, you know, you know, she finds out that he's getting married and she's like, oh, my God, you know, I'm 28. I'm going to be 30 and I'm not getting married. And he was if I wasn't with somebody by the age of 28 headed for the altar, then Michael and I were going to end up together. So she is just crazed, absolutely mm-hmm. lunatic. Um, yeah, thank you for saying pop. that because this movie's unhinged, and <laughs> I was excited. To, I was excited to talk about it. It was, was going to be my next choice, but I'm glad you said that because mm-hmm. one of the reasons I was excited was because this movie is bonkers. Wait, was this your choice? No, was it was your... gonna. It was gonna be. If you didn't pick it, I was gonna pick uh, it for <gasps> oh. number five, but. But then that's one of the big reasons, because this is a wild movie, Aaron. Yeah. This is a wild, wild ride through, mm-hmm. um, you know, the scheming of a mentally unstable woman hell-bent <laughs> on breaking yes. up her best friend's wedding to um, a perfectly nice kind of Stepford socialite, uh, Cameron Diaz, mm-hmm. who plays Kimmy. And she's like this rich woman and... Her dad owns, I think, his The White Sox. The White Sox, right? Yeah. And so um, Julia's character does all these devilish deeds to break them up. And Mm -hmm. one of them is like, oh, they all go out to karaoke night. And she's like, Kimmy, sing. You know, Kimmy can't carry a tune. And she's also extremely, like, Mm self-possessed and fancy. She doesn't go to these karaoke nights. So... um, Julia's like, here, Cameron, 
you know, I, I put in a song for you. And um, her scheming backfires because um, Cameron, I'm just saying the actor's name. Yeah, yeah. Cameron Diaz gets up there and is very adorable about being a terribly off-key singer. And Michael loves, I mean, Dermot Mulroney, Dermot Michael, he loves her even more. So, you know, every time, like, her character's like, oh, this will be mm-hmm. it. This will be the straw that breaks the camel's back. And then Michael will realize he's in love with me. Everything backfires and he is pulled closer and closer to Cameron Diaz. I think Julia is so <laughs> good in this. She's uh, awesome. Right, because she's an avatar for everybody, women, you know, maybe men, who have ever, like, had regrets. Mm-hmm. Maybe they had a college sweetheart and they were too young to take it seriously. You wanted to go off and move to New York or do this and go sow your wild oats. But then that person, you know, ends up like married and has a cute family and you look them up on Facebook and you start thinking, what if? That, that should have been me. That should have been me. And I think this movie is brilliant, too, because it touches on that. You know, and even though, okay, so I think a lot of people wanted her character to succeed and get the guy in the end. I never did because I saw, let's see, this movie came out in 97. Um, I think I dragged my mom to it. You know, again, she was into the art films. I think I was, yeah, I was like 16. I was rooting for Kimmy. Cameron Diaz's character the whole time. I felt bad for her the whole time. Yes, because I thought Julia was awful. But then the older you get, the more you're like, oh, I get it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I I, I was, as much as I love Julia Robert, and I do, for as early in the Cameron Diaz's career as this movie is, I thought she played that part so well because you want to, like, root against her because, oh, she's the, the rich socialite, like, whatever. But you just... You can't help but like her, and she's not like the she's not like the antagonist. Like you, you kind of like oh, you feel bad for her, and you're kind of mm-hmm. like oh, you want Julia to be happy, but you, you're like I can't root against Cameron Diaz's character either. And Julia yeah. likes her too, and that's the yeah. thing. I think Julia's frustrated because she likes Cameron's character, right? So that's probably right. an, even more so annoying. It's the karaoke night that Aaron was talking about. I think Julia had this look on her face, like damn, she's kind of I do kind of like this girl actually. So she's, I think that's that's something that she's doing this stuff in spite of like kind of liking Cameron in this movie. Right. And it's like, um, it's just, you feel her struggle though. But then she keeps on like digging herself deeper and deeper and deeper until like what, they ended up in Union Station in Chicago. And then she had that heart to heart with Michael. And he's like, you are like, what did he say? You're like a bottom feeder, Jewel. <laughs> but okay, so all that happened. And it was like, okay, she's going to go back to New York. But what I don't understand is, I mean, I love this, but they let her be in the wedding. Yeah, she they're is, very forgiving folks. Right. <laughs> and that's annoying too. So they're for, and then, so like, like Jules is sitting there at the end of the night and she's like, I'm so annoyed you know, I'm the worst person in the world, but they're so nice. They let me be in their wedding, and I just feel <laughs> awful. And then, so you don't think it's not your typical happy ending, right? But then she gets a call from her friend George, 
played by Rupert Everett. Who was, who was amazing, like, by the way. Love amazing. Rupert Everett. I was and waiting he, for someone to talk about a certain scene, but I'll, I'll let it go. But work, I just take time. And all through my coffee break time, I say a little prayer for you. Forever and ever, you stay in my heart, and I will love you forever and ever. We never were part of how I love you together. Forever, that's how it must be to live without you. Will only mean heartbreak for me. I'll say a little prayer yes. for you. <laughs> I love Another, that scene. That's a set piece. That is the um, the fake orgasm scene of this mm-hmm. movie. It doesn't need to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a distraction, but it's you can't imagine the movie without it. They mm-hmm. got a but little Rupert greedy Everett's with the helium addled kids singing yes. after that. They got a little greedy, the movie did, by adding that part in. But the say a little prayer for you is like became a classic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that soundtrack was so yeah. great. But the anyway... The end of the movie, he comes, like, to save her, you know. Um, he flies to New York. This is her gay best friend. And whisks her around on the dance floor. And, like, that, to me, that's an incredibly happy ending. And suddenly, the crowds part. And there he is. Sleek, stylish, radiant with charisma. Bizarrely, he's on the telephone. But then, so are you. And he comes towards you. The moves of a jungle cat. And although you quite correctly sense that he is, like most devastatingly handsome single men of his age are, you think, what the hell? Life goes on. Maybe there won't be marriage. Maybe there won't be sex. But by God, there'll be dancing. You know, it makes it about friendship, mm-hmm. platonic friendship, and you know, with somebody like George in her life, who always has her back, that she's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. but yeah, and and he's so much fun, and he's more fun than Michael. Oh, he's, yeah. I wrote that he's almost, Rupert Everett in this movie is almost too charismatic to where it like does a disservice to Dermot Mulroney, <laughs> in my opinion. And can we talk about, so we love Julia Roberts. We love Rupert Everett. Can we talk for a second about the casting of Dermot Mulroney? Because I, I, I think this is an essential movie. I, I love this movie for a lot of reasons, but Dermot Mulroney, I don't think he's good. At, I don't like him in this movie. I don't know if I, if I don't know if I'm an, on an island here, but there was nothing about him that screamed like Julia Roberts should be be an, an insane lady for like I'm, trying to get him, you know. So I didn't I, really I'll understand. I'll say this. It. I'll Maybe say this. I okay. think it's kind of because he's the he's the prize that like Cameron Diaz and Julia Roberts want. So like he kind of he because I'm not the biggest fan of him, but I think. In this role, I kind of get why he can't be too charismatic uh-huh. because it's about like these two women, like he's the one that they're both after and he's one that they both want. So I think like he just kind of represents that. He's that every man, he's that noble, blue collar, like good guy. He sticks to his morals, but it's like he can't be too like charismatic because it's about these two ladies and who you're kind of pulling for and wanting to, to get them. 
Rupert I Everett stole his charisma like the Monstars. <laughs> stole stole <laughs> Charles Barkley's basketball skills. <laughs> but I think uh, that's a fair point. That might have been the point of it. But Dermot Moroni, just the whole movie has the same look on his face. Like, just, he, it's just like no charisma, just kind of blah. And I'm like, I don't know, this guy. But maybe the casting, maybe that was intentional. Or maybe he was just young and not, maybe didn't find his voice as an actor yet. Because I liked I mean, him in New Girl. Yeah, I mean, he was in the holiday, not the holiday, um, the Family, family Stone. Stone. The Family yes. Stone. And yeah, he was he the was same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like he got Claire Danes, you know yeah. what I mean? And you're like, mm-hmm. but is he? But there, he little, he's bad. He's yeah, he is bad. bad in that. And I love that movie, but he's bad in The Family Stone. Mm. Uh, Luke Wilson just totally outshines him in that movie. Luke Wilson was the Rupert Everett of that yes. movie. <laughs> Great point. Great like, point. So maybe Dermot Moroni exists to to put the shine on other actors. Like he's such a giving actor. That's that's his that's Dermot Moroni's fate. That's his that's his legacy in Hollywood is making that's other actors brilliance. look more charismatic. Yeah. That is such a compassionate reading, Thomas. Yeah, that's his brilliance. He lets the supporting actor shine. Yes. He's so giving. Wow. We're 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 breaking down some stuff here. <laughs> It's a lot nicer than what I had written down initially about this movie, but (laughs) But I like this choice, by the way. And I, like I said, it was going to be my choice if you didn't pick it. I was so excited to talk about it because it's just such a wild ass like rom com. Well, I just have. Do you think this is kind of like a? I know it came out like ninety seven, but like a progressive way of looking at the rom coms for that time, like. Mm-hmm. Right, I, I. Or for sure, because she doesn't like the rom com is supposed to end with like the girl getting the guy or the guy getting the girl, but the girl doesn't get she doesn't get the guy. You know, it just it subverts that trope and replaces Michael with the charismatic gay bestie, mm-hmm. which a lot of women have. <laughs> you know, but but rarely was it ever seen on screen in such a refreshing way. So I do think that um, opened the the door for the rom com to be uh, more inclusive. Mm. So, yeah, I yeah, had wondered if this was it. like the earliest gay best friend on screen or in a rom com that I could remember. Oh, yeah, one, one of, of the, them, yes. Yeah. And he became a huge star mm-hmm. afterwards, and he and Julia were really best friends in real life like they went to the premiere together in london that was the premiere where she caused a stir because she did not shave her armpits i don't know if you oh, remember this i think i do okay mm-hmm. it's coming back to me now yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah aaron you and i or are about the same age so we Hill. have like the same memories it seems like so <laughs> i like do remember this yeah <laughs> El- the elder millennial yes right. exactly we have the same 81 over points. here yeah. I'm, I'm the younger millennial here so i'm <laughs> I'm tapping in, but okay, I do remember hearing about that. Was that that was for this movie? Now I'm thinking it was for Notting Hill, because that movie came out. Yes, Notting Hill. Okay. Yeah, that was the other good Julia Roberts rom com from the late '90s. She had done the Runaway Bride at the, around the same time, uh, My Best Friend's Wedding, and then Notting Hill, which is another great one. But I would I would put Notting Hill like up there in terms of essential rom-coms but but yes but i chose my best friend's wedding because you know i think that's the essential julia roberts rom-com i agree it's so much fun and she's so good in it too 
Yeah, and she can get away with stuff that Meg never could. Like, can you imagine Meg being a jerk? Like, to anyone? I can't. She kind of played obsessive in the that movie with um, yes. where she kind of stalked her. Yes. And she, she was like a private investigator, like an amateur private investigator. Yes. And she, what, what was the movie called? Um, gosh, why am I forgetting this? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I think I've compartmentalized it because it was Addicted to Love. Addicted to Love, yes. Called, Do you remember this, love. Jeremy? She, mm-hmm. she stalks her ex. Yeah. And his new lover by like moving across in, into a warehouse across the street from their apartment so mm-hmm. she can spy on them. And Meg tried to be a jerk, a villain. I didn't buy it one bit. This was her weakest role. I didn't buy it. No. Sorry, no. This, they ended up you setting never up do a projector in, real life. in the warehouse <laughs> so they could like watch what was going on in the house, like on a projection in the warehouse. Yeah. Something that, yeah, that was a crazy, that was creepy, a wild, kind of wild movie. But yeah. Creepy as hell. Yeah. I don't think that would get made today. No. Um, Dated to Love's not an essential. It's not our essential. Not on no. our essential list. Mm-mm. Skip. Skip. <laughs> yes. My best friend's wedding. That's an awesome choice. Yeah. I would like to shout out the soundtrack. Mm. Uh, it has Tony Bennett on it. Like, it's just really good. As far as essential rom-com soundtracks, that's right up there with Sleepless in Seattle. So highly recommend. Mm. So number four, my best friend's wedding. Now it's on to me. I get the last choice. I get to round this list out. This one's personal for me. This one goes back, and Jeremy's going to know what I'm talking about right away. This one goes back to our very first episode of Pop Culture 5. And it was the first time Jeremy almost kind of stood up to one of my almost choices. I didn't even choose this movie as an essential, but I wanted to. I was going to maybe choose it. But Jeremy had some kind of pushback. So you said, Aaron, that you weren't going to choose another Nora Ephron because you already did. Well, I didn't. She wasn't behind the big six. So for my final choice for our number five, I want to talk about You've Got Mail. She's very pretty. She is! I knew she would be! She had to be! She had to be! You know what? She looked... I mean, she almost has the same coloring as that Kathleen Kelly person. Kathleen Kelly of the little bookstore. Well, why not? You said you thought she was attractive. Absolutely, yes. Why not? Who cares about Kathleen Kelly? Well, if you don't like Kathleen Kelly, I can tell you right now, you ain't gonna like this girl. Why not? Because it is Kathleen Kelly. So here's the backstory. So our very first episode was Tom Hanks, uh, Five Essential Tom Hanks movies. We were talking about honorable mentions, and I said, I really wanted to pick You've Got Mail. I love it. Jeremy said, well, maybe Sleepless in Seattle is more essential than You've Got Mail. And so I'm like, no, I don't know. He's like, is that a Thomas favorite, Is there or is that a more essential? So we kind of had a little back and forth. I really went to bat for You've Got Mail. I'm going to bat for You've Got Mail right here and i'm putting the pressure on Jeremy to veto it or not so you've got mail and i have my reasons you called for backup that's what you did you you have have aaron here here. so you called for backup i Uh see what you did you're clever thomas you're clever i won't be offended if you veto it it's not for everyone i i just was I mean, I loved that Dave Chappelle. I mean, I was a, always a comic, so Dave Chappelle was it. I just kind of felt like it was 
it's not a bad movie, but I just feel like in the history of rom-com, it didn't have the effect like A Sleepless in Seattle did. It, it didn't have those kind of, that kind of pull. It's not, a, it's not a bad movie. I just kind of felt like at the time for Tom Hanks, it was like there were other Hanks movies that stood out over You've Got Mail on that list. So now if we go to rom-coms, I think it's closer for an essential rom-com than an essential Tom Hanks movie, if that makes sense. In my opinion, mm-hmm. but so it, it, I think I, let, let me hear you guys talk more about it because right. I'm I'm not sure. So I think my one of my big deals, and as far as comparing it to Sleep, Sleepless in Seattle, which I do love too, is that I love Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. I love their dynamic in Sleepless in Seattle. We don't really get to see them on screen. I think they're on screen together for two minutes in the whole movie and you've got mail. We get Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks in scenes together. We see their rapport. We see a relationship blossoming. So we get like full maximum impact. Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks together. That's one of my big things. And also this was one of the first movies, especially in the rom-com realm that dealt with the internet that dealt with communicating online. It utilized new technology, Nora Ephron, was not a Luddite. She wasn't afraid of new technology. She embraced new technology. You could see that in this movie. So I think the fact that it used the internet, used email, used AOL, all of that, it's it's essential in the rom-com realm where it kind of ushered us in into a new technological era. So those are kind of my two main points, even though like I, I like it more as a movie. I think it's just personally, I think it's a better movie than Sleepless in Seattle. But those other two reasons even more so is why I would put You've Got Mail in first. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like the internet, like, I, you know, the AOL dial tone <laughs> in the movie, like, is yeah. so nostalgic. Um, and to me, this movie made the chat room or meeting a stranger online seem like a friendly, wholesome thing to do and not sinister. You know, meeting people online, meeting strangers, forging those connections, it had a stigma. Like, do you remember that Sandra Bullock movie, The Net? Absolutely. Like, like, those were the kinds of plot lines. So when they wanted to call the movie You've Got Mail, um, AOL was like, oh, God. (laughs) This is going to be a very big advertisement for us, but it could also make us look you know, um, like it could make us look bad, um, and it, we could lose subscriptions. And there, Nora's like, no, 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 we're not going to do this. Even I'm going to invest in AOL. Um, just let us do this. Um, this will be good. And they were so happy when they finally saw the movie and AOL uh, subscriptions, instant messenger, um, like skyrocketed. People were like, oh, if this is safe enough for Hanks mm-hmm. and Meg Ryan to do, then, um, <laughs> yeah, this is good. I'll create a screen name right here. So, yeah, it did um, kind of show the Internet as, um, as a friendly place where you could meet an NY152 or a shop girl. And then... <laughs> You know, it's so funny, um, Jeremy. Uh, my husband prefers Sleepless in Seattle over mm. You've Got Mail. He does not like Joe Fox. He does not like Joe Fox leading Ka- Kathleen Kelly on, you know, right. shutting down her business. 
So uh, my husband's a better man than I am. <laughs> because, <laughs> because I, like, like anytime someone would complain about that to Nora, she'd be like, oh, that's the reality of the situation. Because this movie dealt with gentrification in, True. like, uh, Really, like, romantic comedies never deal with changing neighborhoods and gentrifications and, like, the big box stores, like, squeezing out the mom and pops, which was what was happening in, like, um, Giuliani-era New New York. York, yeah. Like, the shop around the corners were literally getting shut down because Barnes & Nobles, I think there were at least two of them on the Upper West Side within blocks of each other. They were opening... And New Yorkers were like, we hate these. We, we hate this place. We're, we're going to boycott Barnes & Noble. But yet they would go because it was a place to mix and mingle and be. As Joe Fox says, it was a goddamn piazza. You could get your Starbucks, you know, your New Yorker, your like Dan Brown, like Paul Thriller, whatever, right. all in one bag. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, it, it dealt with a lot of um, these uh, like social issues and things that were actually happening. But Joe Fox was the big box store and Kathleen was the indie bookstore. Mm-hmm. So there felt like there were real stakes, real mm-hmm. stakes. Whereas the real stakes in Sleepless in Seattle were like, uh oh, you know. <laughs> if they didn't meet each other, then. I okay. guess. Then they I didn't meet each other. You felt like, but you felt like Annie Reed would find a way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like if they didn't meet on top of the Empire State Building, Meg Ryan's Annie Reed would somehow hunt him down. She would go back to Seattle <laughs> and find him on his houseboat. Yeah. Sure. But and there's how- a lot to say, and you've got mail about forgiveness and um, Kathleen learning to love NY52 when she finds, mm-hmm. you know, or learning to love Joe Fox. When she finds out he's NY152. And I think she finds out. I think she knows early on in the movie. I, I, I think she gonna, starts was, to figure it out. I was going to say, because I felt like that part kind of didn't make it for me, where after being stood up, so like, why would you keep trying with this person? Even though she wasn't stood up in reality, but he's playing it off like, like that's not him. So then why would you keep talking to him? If like like the online person, if he's standing you up and that's kind of what I remember so many Mm -hmm. times watching it being like, I wouldn't keep giving this person a try after being stood up. I think she knew, though, when they were when she was sick and he went and like kind of barged into apartment and she was about to say something mean. And he said and he stopped her and said uh, not told her not to say something that she'll probably regret for a few years. And she gave this look. I think she was maybe starting to register part of me. I don't know if that's just the romantic in me or something, but part of me thought like maybe she was starting to register like, Oh, is this actually him? Or there's something about him that like, I mean, so there was like a knowing sort of look in that interaction. And, and when she, and she says like, is that, do you think that holds water, Aaron? Yes. Um, when he sits on her bed, like Mm -hmm. what? Yeah. Um, but, (laughs) I was like, hello, invasion of privacy. Right. And um, I feel like they have this moment, you know, this connection. But they've had this connection when they met 
for the first time in the bookstore. F O X, you know, and then when they um, battled each other during the book party scene. You were spying on me, weren't you? You probably rented those children. Why would I spy on you? Because I am your competition, which you know perfectly well, or you would not have put up that sign just around the corner. The entrance to our store is around the corner, and there's no other way of saying that. It's not the name of our store, it's where it is. And you do not own the phrase around the corner. What is that? What are you doing? What is that? What are you doing? You're taking all the caviar? That caviar is a garnish. And, um, you know, she points a knife at him. Yes. That was... Um, Greg Kinnear kind of grabs the yes. knife and was like, okay. Yeah. Right, me. <laughs> The destroyer of city books. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tell me, how do you sleep at night? Okay, we're going to start right. quoting this whole movie, Aaron and I. Oh, my so. gosh. Well, can I tell you my favorite line? Um, Patricia makes coffee nervous. That yeah. is the best line of any romantic comedy because I relate to this line because I feel like I make coffee nervous. <laughs> <laughs> and this is you uncaffeinated right now. Yes. Wonderful. Right. I only drink two <laughs> coffees before noon. Two. And I wish okay. I could, right. But I feel like it's enough to caffeinate me the rest of the day. But, you know, I could have more. If I didn't listen, you know, if I didn't listen to my doctor, I could have more coffee. Oh. You know, anyway. <laughs> so, yes. I don't know, Jeremy, did, uh, did, are we swaying you? <laughs> the pressure. I hope so, because we've talked about this movie for like 10 minutes. <laughs> There's so, so some points about like, the impact it had on people meeting online and obviously where where we have come and are with that is very huge and I I I can give it I, I can give it to you. I can give it to you to yes. make the list. It's begrudgingly See begrudgingly he's open minded. He's he's harsh, but he's very open minded. I'm a tough I just I've just you know, make sure because, and that's what I'm doing with myself because I could put some other ones, but it's not your favorite list. It's essential. And I think, I don't know of these movies quite yet because a couple of the movies I'm thinking of are more recent. I don't, I think maybe in like five years from now, we might be saying something different. But mm-hmm. for right now in 2024, I think they're more essential to rom coms than, like, you've got males more essential than these other couple movies. And but Dermy, I do have two in mind. Jeremy, yeah. You've Got Mail has a Stevie Wonder song that's, like, used prominently in the movie. It has a Cranberries, a great cranberry song at the beginning of the movie. I tell awesome you, I, music in the movie. It just didn't, I, I couldn't get over the two big things of you're getting stood up by that online presence. That is, like, the end. Like, when you, like, one time is, you like. You ghost dare me and you're done. You're done. You better have, like, the best excuse with, like, proof. Like, something big time. Or I'm like, man, you stood me up. Like, it just is, like, oof. And then, like, I know it's, it's not supposed to be a business and personal, but it's, like, you shut down my bookstore. It's, like, maybe I could make, forgive you later on, but I can't. I don't like, like. Be in relationship with you. That's it's how much hard. they loved each other was oh. transcended that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, I understand though. I, I totally get I think those are valid points. But it's still yeah. on our list. If I hadn't been Fox Books and you hadn't been the shop around the corner, and you and I had just 
Oh, Matt. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I would have asked for your number. And I wouldn't have been able to wait 24 hours before calling you up and saying, hey, how about... Oh, how about some coffee or, you know, drinks or dinner or a movie? For as long as we both shall live. Yeah. That was sneaky, Thomas. That was sneaky. I see what you did there. Yes. <laughs> Got Aaron for backup. Let's yeah. two against one here. I Absolutely. see. I see. Yeah. So, Aaron, you wrote you you wrote a lot of really great things about you've got mail uh, in your Nora Ephron book, along with Sleepless in Seattle, which I did rewatch and I do really enjoy. I like that movie a lot. So, so again, uh, go pick up Aaron's. Uh, uh, I'll have what she's having. Uh, it's about Nora Ephron. So I think we did it, everybody. We have our list. So let me recap. Uh, we have When Harry Met Sally. That was Aaron's choice. Uh, I chose The Big Sick. Deremy, great choice, picked The Princess Bride. It was back to Aaron, and she picked My Best Friend's Wedding, a bonkers of a movie, which <laughs> is so fun to watch. And then to round it out, I chose You've Got Mail. Um, just real briefly, um, is there that one honorable mention that, that you just kind of, Aaron, like if you had another pick or just like you, you kind of, it was just something that you really wanted to push through, but just didn't, just, just couldn't. Yeah. This is like, maybe this is more obscure, but I think it did well on, um, streaming better than it did in the theaters, but this came out in 2019 and um, it's called Long Shot, mm-hmm. and it's a rom-com with Seth Rogen, yes. my new favorite leading man of all time, uh, and Charlize Theron as a presidential candidate, and he is her speechwriter. This movie is so effing funny. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Great movie. Thank you. Yeah, thank no, you. No, that's a three for three. Like, no, that's a great I movie. saw it. I was one of the few. I did see it in theaters. Awesome. Love this movie. I mean, I don't know, like, what's funnier, like Seth Rogen falling down the stairs during the Boys to Men concert. <laughs> he, like, or ran Charlie- down the stairs and then face-planted, like, the While so wearing, hilarious. like, one of those turquoise and purple Reebok windbreakers. That <laughs> yeah. From, like, my- the 90s. Yes! Yeah. That my dad had. And, yes. like, then there was Charlie's Theron no- negotiating a hostage crisis on ecstasy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, su- successfully releasing the hostage. So funny. This mm-hmm. was very raunchy, but also very smart. Yeah. And um, I loved that Seth Rogen was... Um, no one thinks of him as a leading man, really, in a rom-com. Because um, he's so funny and you think of him as like, oh, like mm-hmm. Seth Rogen. Yeah. But he's actually... This movie... Made, to me, it made him really hot because mm-hmm. he was like, you know, he's obviously in love with Charlize Theron. You know what I mean? Like Charlize mm-hmm. Theron is like the total package. She's like objectively stunning in this right. movie. Right, right. Yeah. But he also appreciates her for her brain, mm-hmm. um, her ambition, and he makes her dreams his. So he's a very feminist leading man. Um, but he, it's, the movie is so funny that it takes those themes and kind of like, um, hides them in all the humor. It's like, 
you know, you don't realize this is actually a subversive and feminist romantic comedy because mm-hmm. it's so effing like funny. Absolutely. And it's, it's like a, he's a role model for men. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. like that Charlize was able and to. And that's, that's me on my soapbox. <laughs> no, that's good. No. Charlize flexed her comedic chops. She impressed me as a comedian in this movie. Oh, yeah, with that, that wave, <laughs> yeah. that awkward, like, presidential what, wave. What did June Ry- <laughs> Diane Raphael tell her? Like, it, the, the, the level of elbow movement stresses people out yeah, <laughs> when yeah. she's waving. Yeah. Or uh, Ravi Patel's character after Seth Rogen falls, and he's, like, in the car on the phone with the DMX, like, and he's just keeps, like, rewinding it back yeah. and forth, like, whoa, whoa, that's a rough ride. <laughs> he just keeps, I love that part. Yeah. Such a great movie. Great, great movie. Uh, Deremy, do you have anything? Yes. Uh, I And if I would have gotten vetoed for Princess Bride, I would have gone with Long Shot. So it was, I love that movie. And I'm going with one that came out in 2022. Uh, Billy Eichner, I'm going with Bros. Mm. That was like a, I love that film. Saw that in theater too. Seen that a few times. And I think that's one I think both of these movies, like Aaron will be in a few years, we'll be talking about, like if we retouch like essential rom-coms in a few years, we might have to put these two movies on the list because they're really hitting on the times and really progressive in ways that like are hit, like kind of like you said, they're hidden by just how funny they are and these like hilarious scenes. But I love bros. Thank you for saying that too. I feel like that movie did not get the credit it deserves. Because Billy Eichner is hilarious. And ev- everyone's like, who's the next Nora Ephron? We've been looking for the next Nora Ephron forever. To me, he is, because he gets that kind of wry humor, that um, kind of urbane, prickly sensibility. But that is also an homage, I think, to You've Got Mail in a way, because mm. um, he's watching You've Got Mail. His character mm-hmm. is watching You've Got Mail. Uh, it all comes back to you've got mail, but that just proves the essentiality of you've got mail because everyone's trying to make the next, you know, the next you've got mail. But I think mm-hmm. Billy Eichner came really close with Bros, um, and I think that's going to be like long shot, one of those um, cult classics that will yes. just continue to like resonate in the future because Absolutely. it didn't really like like long shot. It just kind of like played in the theaters and then went away. Mm-hmm. But it's it's gonna come back. Yeah. yeah, I think Long Shots had a good life on streaming. Like a lot of people didn't see it, and I'm like, you gotta watch this movie. And they're like, how did I not know about this? And I'm like, I don't know. I saw it in theaters, but it's it's great. Yeah. So Bros and Long Shot barely missed the cut. I'm a big fan of subtle British humor, so I I was considering Four Weddings and a Funeral. Uh, it's very witty. It's something that I think needs to be watched multiple times to really pick up on like the subtle sarcasm, the 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 wittiness of it all. Because I think the movie kind of washed it washed over me the first time I saw it, and I was like, that was okay. The second time I saw it, I was paying attention to the the dialogue and what they were saying to each other, and it pops. It's like very, it's a very funny movie. It's just more like British. It's very subtle and sarcastic. We see Hugh Grant in maybe his best, uh, arguably his best performance in a rom-com. I don't know. There's a lot of contenders. Uh, but you just had like Rowan Atkinson. You had some really good side characters. Uh, so that's something for Weddings and a Funeral that I did consider uh, for this list. That's a great one. Kristen Scott Thomas, I feel like she was so sleek in that movie. Yeah. And she was like the... Um, 
the girl who didn't get the guy. She was like the Julia Roberts character. And I was like, she's in love with him, but he's in love with Andy McDowell, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, Andy McDowell. Any- <laughs> she's too perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh, so so that was almost my choice. So uh, yeah, great job, everybody. I, I love doing this episode. Aaron, it was a delight having you on with us. Uh, can you tell the listeners again uh, where they can find you? Sure, um, you can find me. I'll just say my Substack newsletter. Um, mm-hmm. It's called <laughs> You've Got Mail. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Be easy to remember. I did not stand a chance with that one. <laughs> the All level right. of fandom I have exceeds that of a Swifty for Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> so go find Aaron's Substack. It's called You've Got Mail. What a wonderful guest. Thank you so much for being on, Aaron. Thank you, guys. No, it's been amazing. Yeah, truly amazing. Deremy, can you give a quick preview of what we have in store next week? Sure, sure. Well, we... Did a few weeks ago, we did our first ever pop culture blind spot, and Thomas introduced me to some Radiohead. I had to be honest, I didn't know Radiohead that well, so he gave me five, in his opinion, essential songs to listen to. So I'm going to the TV, and I'm really going to take a leap here, but I love the Big Bang Theory, so I'm going to do, and Thomas doesn't know the Big Bang Theory. So we're going to do our second pop culture blind spot episode where I'm going to give him five essential Big Bang Theory episodes to watch and see if this makes him want to keep going with Big Bang Theory or he's kind of like, eh, he's, he's good on it. So I'm a little nervous here because I do love this <laughs> show. So I'm like, but I think I'm taking a little bit of a risk here knowing Thomas's sense of humor, but I, I, I'm going to try Big Bang Theory and see what what that's like for Thomas. No, I'm looking forward to that. I've heard of Big Bang Theory. Don't get me wrong. I, of course, know I know some of the characters and I know a few of the beats, but I can't say that I've even watched an episode. I think an episode's been on when I've been in the same room and I've kind of paid attention. So this will genuinely be like a, this is a blind spot for me, even though I know a little bit about it. We'll get more into that next week, but I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to that, Jeremy. Okay. Aaron, do you know Big Bang Theory or not really? Not really. Okay. I mean, um, I need to get caught up. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. I will say gotcha. I've watched more Young Sheldon than I have Big Bang Theory. So we will talk about that next week as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Looking forward to that, Jeremy. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. For our outstanding guest, Aaron Carlson, and my co-host, Jeremy Dove, I'm Thomas Senna. So long, everybody. Peace. and such.